everybody, and happy springtime. This is the Bitch Seat Podcast. I'm Melissa Mandel. And I'm Philip Cassell. And uh, every time I hear that song, it's like just a shower of, um, I was going to say golden light, but that that's too close to golden shower, so we're not going to start an adolescence podcast with golden showers. But the song makes me really happy every time I hear it. I don't get tired of it. I just wanted to watch you. Yeah, I kind of dance a little bit in my seat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, a couple of uh, notes here at the top before we get into the show. We have two live shows coming up um, in New York, April 24th, uh, which is a Sunday at 7 p.m. at QED. We've got Mark Norman done that show and Dave Ebert and Brooke Arnold and Livia Scott with Rebecca Vigil as our musical guest. It's going to be loaded. awesome. It's loaded. It's going to be great. And then on May 7th, we're back in L.A. at the Nerd Melt showroom at Meltdown Comics. Uh, guest lineup TBA. So um, there's some surprises in there, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's gonna Definitely. be it's gonna be pretty rad. So if you want to see the show live, get on that. QED is a pretty small space here in in Queens, so uh, get your tickets now. And um, uh, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna start out with uh, with an entry from Satin Two. Which is one of these hardcover books. It looks like Lisa Frank. Now, what kind of year? Thing the cover. Uh, what year was Satin Two? Like, what range of? This is 1996. So I think it's mostly sixth and seventh grade in this book. I mean, based on the doodles of like um, Yin Yangs and uh, Sunshines with sunglasses on their faces. Oh yeah, in the definitely. Front, we're, very, we're talking 96, 97. Yeah. It's a it's a product of its time. Any so, no fear logos in there? No, that that wasn't you. That was me. I didn't do no fear. You know, a lot of people in my school shirts. wore no fear t shirts, and a lot of them wore until they became illegal. They wore coed naked shirts. Did you have those? What is that? It was like coed naked, and then fill in the blank of like a sport, like coed naked field hockey or coed we never, naked we did not baseball, have that. and and then there would be like a little phrase that was uh uh kind of illicit like uh, I think co-ed naked hockey was on the ice it's twice as nice and those uh those shirts became yeah banned oh wow at my school oh that's my okay. but you didn't uh you yeah, didn't have those I never had that yeah they were probably sorry I was just adjusting my mic settings I wasn't sure I could I didn't know I was on for all the folks at home we have a lot of equipment here it's a podcast we're recording um so yeah I didn't I didn't have those because they my my school was I don't want to say puritanical, but you know, well, my- prone to outrage. So they definitely made sure some shirts, like within the first week of school starting, was not allowed. Like Bart Simpson shirts were not allowed. Nope. Why? I don't know. I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons for quite a while until I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the other TV and watch anyway. So try to stop me. And my parents were like, we're tired. I'm not going to try to stop you. Same with Dirty Dancing. I begged to watch that movie so many times. And I was never allowed to watch it, even though all of my friends were watching it before anybody knew what sex was. And I was, one day it was on TV and I was like, I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) Nobody stopped me. And then that one scene in the cabin, I was like, what is this strange feeling I'm having? Oh, sorry. You've never seen the movie all the way through, have you? No, no, I haven't. Still, hey, listen. We're gonna have to discuss our relationship after this. We'll watch Dirty Dancing, and then uh, what was the movie that I was talking about that we had to watch last night? It was another '80s movie. Um, Get back to me on that. We will. We'll talk. We'll have like a double feature in which we both watch two '80s. This is fucking failing. Our our, our interplay. Right now. We, I forgot that that movie. You're fired. I'm gonna read this journal entry. 
Okay. I'm going to continue to interrupt you while you Please don't. Your... Okay. It's from March 3rd, 1996. Okay? Yes. Dear Satin 2, it happened again. Magic is cluing me in, I think. I was listening to music in my room. Weeby 108 was playing particularly bad music. It was then I realized that I hate the 90s. I absolutely can't stand this decade. All the boys are ugly, greasy perverts, or else slobby bums, occasionally a nerd. As for the ditzy girls, I have a few words about them I won't mention. But the thing about the 90s that I completely despise is the music. No one in these times knows what music is. Oh, I'd die to live in the 80s. I love 80s music so much. And a few minutes ago, I thought to myself, I'd really like to hear Don't You Forget About Me right about now. Now think about it. What were the chances of hearing one out of thousands of songs, especially one from the 80s? I began moving the dial and heard it. My heart started thudding. I thought I heard it. I moved the dial back. Sure enough, there it was. What's going on anyway? Was that really magic again? It's happened to me three times already, twice this year. I feel very strange. Maybe I have ESP. Oh, I wish there were a station that played all 80s music. I'd pay a million dollars for that, if I had a million dollars. Maybe, just maybe, that's what I don't like about my life. Sort of a what's wrong with this picture thing. Maybe it's that I was born at the wrong time. Did you ever feel like that, by the way? I, I think that's a pretty common feeling for teenagers to have. Yeah, I was. That you were like born that. at the wrong time. Oh, yeah, I, I, I was definitely... Uh... I should have been born in the 50s or 60s. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Dragnet. Dragnet. That was the movie that we have to watch. We do. Dirty Dancing Dragnet. Okay. All right. Continue. I should be living in the 80s. My life would be so much better if I had been born in the early 70s so that I could enjoy the wonderful 80s music in my teen years when it was popular and not have to enjoy it privately on my own so no one makes fun of me. Exactly. Oh, it makes me sad to think about things that would make my life better, but I can't change the way they are now. If only there was someone who agreed with me on this. Ah, see, Phil, where were you in 1996? But all my friends like 90s music. But you know what I really think? They're getting sucked in. They are only being made to think they like the popular music. I was such a young conspiracy theorist. Then, when music goes out of style, they suddenly hate that music and like the new music that becomes popular. They're all so stupid. They don't know what good music is because they never bother to listen to variety, to everything else that's out in the world, and that's been out in the world. My feelings are a big blazing tangle of depression, exasperation, and lots of frustration. Still. Still. When will these ditzy idiots realize all of the variety in this world? There's so much to discover, and they don't care. It's because they're afraid to explore. Talk about history repeating itself. The people of the Middle Ages were afraid of new things, so they punished the people who weren't afraid. They were different, those brave people, to be who and what they felt. But since I'm afraid to be who I'd like to be, I'm hiding my real self. But how much longer? Since I don't want to be called a geek, I have to pretend to be ditzy. But I'm splitting at the seams. My real thoughts are going to explode out of me unless I let them out soon. Ha ha. Joke's on uh, everybody else because I turned out to be a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could share this with the whole, this whole concept with the world, but no one would understand. I think too much. But that's all part of who I really am. Oh, and then I get really angry. Why can't this whole world just wake up? They don't realize what they're missing. But no way I'm opening my mouth. I'd be punished. Ha! Punished for an opinion. It's me against the world. Good luck to me. I'll need it. Someday I'll make them see. They'll come to their senses. They'll realize how ignorant they were. Gosh, do I feel alone. 
I wish someone were here to talk to who agreed with me and understood my thoughts. Then at least I'd have some company. Love, LMM. Wow. I was a revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I never did anything about it. No. Well, you're doing something now, retroactively. It's true. It's true. Doing something now, which is pretty great. Um, yeah. This is brought to you by adamandeve.com. <laughs> Don't. Uh, someday. Let's cross our fingers. Yes. Um, well, Phil, uh, we have one of our favorite people here yeah. on this podcast today. Uh, he's actually done the live show before uh, when we did it at our friend Megan O'Malley's apartment. Um, great venue. Which is a great venue. And uh, Megan O'Malley is a great comic. Uh, today we have on the show the um, comedic storyteller and solo show guy, as he is self-described. Uh, his name is David Lawson, and uh, he's going to share with us a... Uh, a story that he wrote long ago. So give it up for David Lawson. Oh, You're gonna get some Hollow Notes music. Oh, nice. I, uh. Yeah. Man. What I want, we should have clued uh, you in that we were going to, uh, play some music. I, 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 I knew that there was an intro song, and there's actually a, a YouTube video of an uh, overly excited dog cut to this song that, <laughs> that, that I watch when I'm feeling real shitty. So that was a good intro. I'm feeling, I'm feeling happier yeah. now. Yeah. It's a great keyboard yeah. cat version of this song. I loved hearing about Lissa Mandel, uh, the like midnight in Paris from the 90s. It's like, yes. if only I could get yeah. into my yes. car and go to the 80s. Yeah. Yes. Like, when, I started. We started dating right around midnight in Paris. Yeah. And when I watched the movie, it felt so derivative to me because those are feelings that I've had, and I know you've had for a very long time. Yeah. So when I, I mean the movie was great, I, I enjoyed it. seeing yeah. it. Yeah, but too. I was Definitely. like, I was like, the, haven't the I end, already it was on the nose for me. been through this? Yeah. I know, but it was okay. No, it was because fine. it was very beautiful. Yeah, it was very. Beautiful. I only saw it once. I love that movie just because I, I always think that's like one of the great human fallacies. It actually goes into the bitch seat a lot. It's like. And, and they're not necessarily better back then, right? Every every single generation's just like you know. Has their own. Oh yeah. You know it was great forty years ago, thirty years ago, twenty years ago. You know, uh, yeah. I sure miss the '60s when no one talked about their problems and just let it boil. Because I know <laughs> <laughs> there's that, and like I I I hope when we get older, people are like, oh, those 2010s. And I'm like, yeah, Iggy Azalea. You know, that, no, was, that was great. Yeah. No. You know? I know. I I know. But you know what? I think I was thinking about this on the way here. Uh, which is when we're we're at our most like emotional like spongy when we're in like at teenagers right yeah. and maybe maybe into college and I I used to kind of like roll my eyes at my dad for the fact that he still and only pretty much listens to music from a long time ago he loves do up music and he loves like um, you know sixties and seventies just generally and and I was like gosh when I'm a grown up, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to move into the future with everybody. So I don't become irrelevant, but I already at 33 feel like I stopped consuming new music in like college. That's funny. You should mention that because that is like one of my, I, that's something I've, I've really, I've done a pretty good job keeping, I want to like love five new albums every year yeah, and not like the eighth album by the band that I already loved in the first place. Right, yeah. right, right, you know? right. You know, yeah. when, when David Bowie died last year, uh, it's always a great idea to bring up death within the first five minutes. 
of these co- uh, comedy podcasts. Um, but I, the big stink I made was that guy did keep up. That guy like guested on a TV on the radio album and an, and an arcade fire album. He did. He kept himself very like, relevant. Like Keith Richards is doing all these interviews, like shitting on all these new bands. And I can curse on here, by the way. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit the bell every yeah. time I want to hear. But yeah, David Bowie kept up. He was like collaborating with like Alicia Keys and he wasn't like one of these like kids these days type of guys. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm already becoming one of those kids these days type of people in spite of the fact that I said that I would never become Can that you person. think of anything on, like that you hear like on the radio or in the background somewhere that you're like, hey, that's a good one. Yeah. Actually, we were, we were la- last night we were in this bar and it Blurred was- Blurred uh, Lines. You no, were into it was not blurred lines. <laughs> it was a really it was progressive not message to that song too. No, I'm right with you, Alyssa. Thank you. All no, right. No, I don't have any good feelings about that song. No, it was that uh, American boy. That he that's was from that was from boy. years ago. No, 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 no. I wasn't gonna say it. Okay, that is that's like, from, like 2009. When I, was, when I was interning at Old 2009? Pit. 2009. No, <laughs> yeah, it dude. is not that old. Yes, I don't know. when I was interning at Old <laughs> Pit, that was like the play them out music to like get them out so I could sweep and start for the next free team like on Wednesday. Like that was the, I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. Let's well, let's just agree to listen to some new music. New let's albums. talk about childhood, which is what we're here for. Yeah, let's, Fine. Go, let's go back. All right, so David. Yes. Set the scene. Set the scene for us in your childhood. You grew up where? I grew up in Annandale, Virginia, 15 miles Virginia outside of Washington D.C. But it's not like what are you thinking when you? What's that? What is that, Virginia? Well, it's either. Your parents were involved in the government. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, the other because like the other part of Virginia is like, is like, country, like country. Yeah, that that's the weird thing about like, uh, like Phil, you got it easy in Jersey because everyone's like, oh, Jersey, that's either near Philly or it's near DC. And when people hear Virginia, I feel like they're like, that's either near DC or near nothing. I know. <laughs> like, and I'm the I'm the near DC. I'm like right inside the so belt. So you felt you kind of were you felt like you were part of an urban landscape growing yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh were you an only child? I was not. I have an older sister, Sarah, with an H, the Jewish, which I think will not be the first time that the Yidness comes out, <laughs> comes out in take. this particular episode <laughs> of the show. But yeah, I, I grew up and that's a really serious place to grow up. Like I I have a theory that because uh, there's a lot of funny people that have come out of like the DC suburbs of particular Dave Chappelle, Wanda Sykes, mm-hmm. Lewis Black, Patton Oswald, all these people. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do think that that there is like this crush of seriousness. Like if you think of all the company towns, yeah. uh, like you got like Silicon Valley and Hollywood and to a very lesser extent New York with like financial stuff mm-hmm. and then this DC, they're the least weird political people. Like Silicon Valley and financial people, Hollywood people are all like weirder. Mm-hmm. And and political people are like it's very straightforward so did you find that did you find like that the whole atmosphere there was um emotionally oppressive like did you did it trickle down to you where you felt like you that seriousness trickled down to you that i I think i think so and i think uh it makes you weirder like because it is like when like my father worked he he was uh air force and then he did department of interior and, oh, damn. and and my mom is like kind, kind of n- not really uh, is like in like the science side of things, but in the private sector. Do you, and, see, it, and what I always love every time I go back there and I do like going back there. I, I don't want to live there as an adult, but uh, it's just like you need to read 10 Wikipedia pages to understand some people's jobs there. 
Uh, yeah. So you never had any aspirations to go into politics when you were living there and you saw, or like the military or anything? Or any of like, no, not, nothing. Definitely not. No, no, no. Did, and did you, so did you find your interest in performing to be like a rebellion from that environment? Yeah. I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of people feel that everywhere, but it's not as like baked in the, in the crust. Cause that is like a very, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it is a very, uh, the, the, a great way to sum up DC is, is like in the actual culture, everybody plays there. Not a lot of people start there. They have to get the fuck out to like, except right. for like DC hardcore and go, go on the music thing. Like, if you look at, like, DC theater, it's just everything that was in New York a year ago for a, a large extent of it. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or like, DC music. Like, everyone will play 930 Club, which is an amazing venue, mm-hmm. but not necessarily, like, this new band out of DC. That's not, I don't know. It's not a, it's not a hotbed of creative uh no, but inspiration. E- but everything goes through there. And I've actually talked to, to, to New Yorkers who play DC. Like, they love it just because... Like, it's just like, oh, my God, my my overly serious life. Like, I've been facilitating the stats on drone strikes. And people are hungry for <laughs> and they're letting like, their hair get down. Get on, cover yourself in blood on stage. I need it. Like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> give, give me the weirdest shit that you have right now. Like, I mean, that's where uh, there's a lot of DC punk. Uh, yeah. Where, where Rollins started. Yep. Like and, and even him, like, you know, because everyone's like, yeah, he, yeah. he had to go to L.A. to Black Flag, you know, that. That wasn't a DC band. That was a California thing that yeah. he, I mean, he is definitely DC. He's one of my heroes. Oh like, yeah. Me a too. DC guy who talks alone on stage, you know? <laughs> so like, did, uh, at what point did you want to go to New York? Like at what point did that enter your, your mind of like, Oh, that's where I need to go to kick off this comedy career and maybe bring it back to DC once in a while. Um, graduate. So I went to Emerson college in Boston, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And that's then, a great art school. And I had a terrible time there. I'm um, so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not have a, have a, have a good time there. That place was like, it was filled with, uh, did you go? Were you in NYU? No, was it's Northwestern. Any? Okay, all right. Yeah. Ooh, Chicago. What a fucking place! I don't know anything about. <laughs> um, but yeah, Emerson College, like really, ne- all these people s- studying all these like creative things, and there's a lot of people who would like give you ten thousand words on something that sucked. They just shit all over everything, and mm. like they wouldn't ever be like, I just saw this great. Ne-. It was a really negative environment. That's interesting. But I didn't walk there. I didn't. Gr- I graduated and I didn't walk, and I literally moved to New York on my graduation day. But as I, like a fuck you to the whole college as experience. Kinda, I just wanted to get going, like yeah. you know. And, but I think you know the seed was planted as is uh, the segue I have. Yes, was watching movies and in particular like Woody Allen movies. Like, ah, uh, see, this is why we're friends. Yeah, and and which is also goes into what I'm what I'm bringing in today because uh, it, it was it was I remember very vividly. It was the year two thousand. And my mom had rented Sweet and Lowdown because uh-huh. that just came out uh-huh. on VHS. Oh, yes. Um, and that was the new Woody Allen movie at the time. And I watched that and I was like, what is this? And and my my mom was was always the, uh, like, she she was the one who kind of, like, get, like, opened my eyes to a lot of these artistic things. And nothing opened my, my eyes more to, like, more of, like, 
a certain type of comedy and, and, and intellectualism and writing and all this than, than Woody Allen. Like, I, I think there's like 38 or 39 Woody Allen movies, and I'm at like 28 or 29 mm-hmm. having seen them. And what about what, uh, when you were younger, like what about Woody Allen's voice hooked you in? There was like, first of all, like all the broad comedy is pretty easy to get when when you're a kid. Like yeah. the sneezing and the coat going everywhere and yeah. lo- love and death. Like you could watch that movie when you're 13 and, and laugh your ass yeah, off. Yeah. And the uh, one thing I do remember is I why he exposed me. I think Bob Dylan does this with musicians. You're just like, what is he talking about? And then you end up reading and you're like, oh, my God, he's like talking about all these fucking poets I would have never heard of and yep. all this. Um, I so badly wanted to be like, like, who is Marshall McLuhan? Like, what does that joke mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it forces you to, it forces you to dig deeper and, and learn more. Definitely. And I don't know if you've ever read, uh, Woody's, um, fiction, but he is so incredibly brilliant and eloquent. And I have to use a dictionary to read his writing. I mean, the funny thing is, is this, this thing that I wrote my sophomore year is just me. I was obsessed with getting even side effects and without feathers, the three books mm-hmm. that he put out in the 70s. And this thing I wrote three phobias, this <laughs> ridiculous story I brought in. That's just me just ripping off his he had a bit in there about a guy who went to the opera and fell out of his box seat one mm-hmm. night and he was so embarrassed and he wanted to convince everyone that he did it on purpose that he did it every night. <laughs> For years like stuff like that like yes. that that comedy is is really easy to grasp and yes like all the all the jewy things like he is like the jewish he's a nebbish and he's uh like a self the self-deprecation is like paramount and of course you know when you're uh kind of a you know fugly guy wearing glasses when you're a teenager and you want to be like what diane keaton and like especially yeah. I, I even the ones that people find creepy and i'm sure we're gonna get into why you might not like woody allen at some point uh <laughs> but yeah, i even like like deconstructing harry and mighty aphrodite when he's like old as shit and he's like with uh what's her name tim burden's long time what the hell's her name uh yeah, Kent, producer Kent. You know, Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, Helena Bonham Carter, because like she's like twenty five in that movie, and Woody Allen is twice. But that. he's aw- <laughs> he's he's aware of it. He's aware of I mean, how Manhattan. absurd. Oh yeah, definitely. You know? I know. Like, but oh, that's not. You know, I'm incredibly comfortable watching Manhattan with everything I know now. I don't know about you two. I just watch that movie and I'm totally well, comfortable. To be, <laughs> to be entirely honest, I mean, and I, don't I love wanna, that movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah, oh, it's hard. Manhattan and Annie Hall are like two of the top reasons in my, in my world that I wanted to move to New York in the first place. And you the know? and the funny thing is, is uh, you know, you you get here and it's. I I've, something about me never knew that a lot of the movies were bullshit because I think a, a lot of people roll their eyes. A lot of a lot of people will roll their eyes at being like, "Oh, you moved here for Woody Allen." I'm like, I'm not gonna live in that apartment. I'm not gonna make six. Fi- Everyone in the Woody Allen movie is like, "I make six figures." What do you do? I just write for the no, New they're Yorker. Like, they're playing like, squash during the day and they live on the Upper East Side. I mean, that's just not gonna be and what see, our that, life is. And that yeah. is like one of my favorite criticisms of Woody Allen that doesn't have to do with <laughs> with Sunyi or Dylan Farrell. There, I said, but um, <laughs> it is is like it is interesting. I've met I've met Jews actually that are like, "You got this Jewish." guy from Flatbush 
who grew up with like if you watch the documentary with like these this father who had a zillion jobs and like this definitely lower middle class guy who just like jerks off to this waspy culture like i have you met jews who have a problem with this who who are just like what who are these people in these movies that he like fetishizes i mean no because when i was little that was the example I had. So I was like, oh, that's what New York is. Yeah. You know? He was the storefront for that sort Precisely. of... Precisely. So, I, I, I mean, listen, I don't excuse him for his uh, illegal behavior at all. That said, um, he was a huge influence in my life because he was, because he was this Jewish dude from Flatbush who ended up just living the at least living the dream in terms of in the movies he wrote for himself he wrote yeah. himself living in the dream that guy's been a working artist since he was like 18 oh yeah and and the and the other thing is by the flip side is like cuz i'm making all the all i love that as a kid like there's a passover scene in crimes and misdemeanors and you're like i oh, recognize it's, it's that great. and i uh, i dated this girl in college who who came from like this very waspy background and I, I, oh my God, went to Cape Cod and they were having lobster. And of course. The f- first time I ever had lobster. And I felt like that. And I even said something along the lines of just like, um, oh, like, oh, the therapist. Oh, he's letting me wear the bib or whatever. And like, <laughs> like jokes falling, like a certain type of humor falling flat with like this very... And of course, yeah, because they're the butt of the joke, so they're not going to get it. But but also, like I love, I just I had that experience, that waspy, you know, Cape Cod. I think that was Midwest in the movie. But then, like then, the in Annie Hall, it cuts in with like the Jewish family, and they're all yelling over each other, yep. and someone's like, "Oh, he's got type three diabetes," you know, like. <laughs> and that is very much more. Well, it's all such a it's such a familiar flavor, and I mean, for me, like I grew up in a very. Um, you know, homogenous white Irish Catholic, very like non-Jewish town in this Jewish family, and to see something like Woody Allen and just like the the little nuggets of Judaism in there, I was like, oh, that's familiar. That's something that I can have ownership of. So that even if I feel totally out of control or I have no agency or no relevance otherwise in my life because I don't recognize anybody like me, um, m- movies like that made me feel like oh i do have a place in this world yeah it's not in guilford connecticut apparently but it i do have a place in this world um let's um i want you to read the story because uh i want to i want to get into all right so are um, we going to do the whole thing stop and start what are we going to do i'll i'll uh i'll interject here and there okay but uh, i don't want to i don't want to ruin your flow because it's got a beginning middle and end yeah and and so just to set this up yes um so i my sophomore and junior year wrote for our school's literary magazine. Perfect. And uh, I, it really just defined my life in a lot of ways just because, you know, I, I've run through these worlds like like theater, like especially at Emerson when I'm like, when you're like on the floor being like, hum, hum, <laughs> and all this stuff, all these like very serious wor- worlds and all that. But, uh, and, and this was a literary magazine and the year it came out, it had like some, uh, like reference to Dante's Inferno that I still don't understand. It was like a very serious <laughs> thing, but I wrote this completely silly thing within that serious world and it got published. Uh, this was 2002 to date myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30. You said your age. So I'm that, 33. You know, yeah, I, I'm yeah. 30. So yeah, anytime yeah. anyone does that, 
<clears throat> but this is definitely me riffing on those 70s Woody Allen short stories. It's called Three Phobias. It's very simple about a man and the three things he's afraid of. Perfect. All right. Let's <clears throat> go for it. <clears throat> Timmy. Not Timothy, Timmy. It's on my birth certificate, my ID, my email, everything. I never really understood what the deal with that was. If everybody's going to call your kid Dick, why the hell don't you just name him Dick instead of having him live his whole life trying to figure out why anyone derives the name Dick from Richard? Some people have a fear of heights. Others can't stand spiders. Me, I have quite a many fears. Fear of cornfields, fear of static shock, fear of somebody copywriting the word and. If you've ever been lost in a cornfield, you know it's hell. You think it would be fun, even slightly thrilling, to take a walk in a beautiful field of corn. But then you get in too deep and you forget where you are. Suddenly you hear the buzzing of gnats as they begin their main course on your forehead. <laughs> You're scared with no apostrophe, Ari, uh, might I add. Who was copywriting? The, who the, was copy editing? The Woodson High School Literary Fell magazine. Fell down on the job. You're scared and you start running full sprint in a cornfield, which is a great idea. The stalks of corn begin bitch slapping you. <laughs> it's very literary. Is that censored? No, it was not censored. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Progressive. Um, you begin to stop running, but the force of you stopping sends a heavy stalk right at you. Right before the stalk hits you, I suggest you pray the force doesn't knock you out or you're stuck in a cornfield unconscious. Considering you're in a cornfield, you're probably in a hick grazing zone. So don't be surprised <laughs> if you wake up on the side of the road naked with a real pain in your ass. Dot, dot, dot. Literally. Literally. Oh. I knew that was coming. In seventh grade, Mrs. Bega, which I believe was, Lou a, Bega? was a reference to Lou Bega. With that hat? Uh, the, yeah, uh, I definitely, because this is 2002. Yeah, that would be about the time. But 1999 was that year because they played that song. Yeah, 99 was Mambo number five. They played here. that song three times at my bar mitzvah. By your request? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I put his name in this short story? Wait, so wait, can I pause to talk about your bar mitzvah he for a second? More. Um, was it a band or a DJ? DJ. And uh, was it the best day of your life? I actually have, I really think a lot of Jews go into showbiz because of the B'nai Mitzvah process. Because you get. Wait, you had a B'nai Mitzvah? No, no. I, I, I was being general neutral oh, about oh, bar oh, and you. bot. Just got like you. the whole bar bot mitzvah thing. Because, yeah, I had a bar mitzvah. I had a bro mitzvah. No. <laughs> Um, because you, you you have this weekend where you have, you rehearse to put on a three-hour solo show, basically. It is, yep. And, and I just lapped up every minute Exactly. Of and, and I know a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people who either like hated that weekend or they're like, they're like, oh, I like this. Give me, give me more what? of this rehearsal than the do the show. And then, then I the... stand up on a stage and everybody praises me. Yeah, right. And a yes. lot of like checks and for like eighteen dollars or whatever. Yep. The the a lot what? of ugly gold jewelry that I never wore. Yeah, yeah. I still have my uh, my uh, kiddish cup. Me too. It's sterling silver, so it is. Uh, it's all like blackened now, but yeah. uh, it came in a in a crushed red velvet box. The U.S. bond that I kept that depreciated. <laughs> Wait, can that happen? 
I, I get. I think that the, that did happen because oh I God. remember I, I was an idiot <laughs> in like 2009. I'm like, I guess I'll see what this is worth. And everyone's like, the whole economy went to shit, Mr. Lawson. Oh this yeah, that is, was not a good year to do no. that, David. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Phil, if you feel left out. I do. I actually. You do. I feel like a bar mitzvah would have been a fun thing to do, but instead, I just had that time when I was Pharaoh and Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat <laughs> and stole the entire show. Of course you that did. Was, that was it. That's really... I mean, my sister had her Sweet 16 where they got uh, Johnny Meister on the Brooklyn Bridge, which was a, a D-level doo-wop band from the 50s. Oh, what? Stu- what a name. Fucking sing. Johnny- Stu Mandel would have loved that. Oh, yeah. He would have been dancing. Wait, um, I saw Johnny Maestro. What? Yes. Okay, sorry. Little side note here. When I was in Pittsburgh... Um, for Abby's wedding uh, for yes. my friend Abby's wedding uh, in November we took a walk to her high school which is like walking distance from her childhood home and Johnny Maestro was playing in the auditorium at that time oh my gosh yeah wow yeah so I uh, yeah yeah. Well, Johnny I mean, Maestro in the Brooklyn Bridge <laughs> yeah like that's the uh, Catholic girls they get their sweet 16 most most girls i'd say you know that was the one birthday party i ever had that my mother allowed me to have at our house because my mom was not into having guests and i wore this like silver sparkly cardigan it was a joint birthday party with my best friend allison and like it was co-ed and tons of people came and there were like m&ms like mashed into the couch and carpet and the next day my dad found a hash pipe on the front lawn Oh, wow. <laughs> whoops! It was not. It was not ours. It was like somebody's older imagine. brother. Somebody's older brother, who is like a really bad, bad kid. What did you? you did Dad you, freak out in this story? Uh he didn't freak out. Well, I mean, I was such a clean and like I didn't even drink anything until a senior in high school, and I didn't smoke any weed until long after that. Like 30, 29, 28? No, in college. Oh, okay. I still have never smoked weed. Well, <laughs> I I hope that you will uh, as soon as it becomes legal. This is a completely legal conversation. I hope you will allow me to. I uh, I can't indoctrinate wait. you. I can't wait to. I still. That's one I haven't broken through with my parents talking weed stories because we talk drinking stories. But this just. I don't know. That's that's some next level. It's because there's a taboo yeah. on it. Still. Yeah. I got to admit to my folks that I uh, I did hash in college last week and that I. I Locked myself in the bathroom for three hours because I thought someone was going to kill me. I know my folks have uh, have weird stories, but uh, have- my mom has quaalude stories. Wow! <laughs> yeah, my dad likes to make fun of her for being into those lewds. Yeah, lewds. my my father and my mother definitely have weird stories. They 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 trickle out slowly over time because they don't want me to smoke anymore. And like my father's like, listen, I was 31 when I quit. Why don't you quit? And I'm like, yeah, but by that point, you had a six-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. So when I have a six-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. I'm not going to quit. It's going to make me a better parent. My, my, <laughs> my father, yeah, once possibly. I once came home drunk in high school, and I was crawling up the steps. And I was like, I can fucking make it to my room. I can make it. And next thing I know, my dad's shaking me awake, morning lights on me. He's like, <laughs> he's like David, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And my, this is one of the coolest things. What my, year? How old were you? I was a junior in high school. Uh-huh. And my da- and my dad asked me if I'm all right. And he, he didn't chew me out. I think he knew that I just came home drunk. And I, I just passed out on the steps, just like, <laughs> just sprawled out on the top step, like trying to make it in my room. And, <laughs> and, and God bless my father. All he did, he, he literally just went, uh, hey, try to make it to your room next time. And then pat, patted me on the head oh, and walked see, away. Those yeah. moments of parenting are my favorite because it's this sort of little wink that's like 
yeah, I have to play the parent now because it's my job. But like, listen, I know where you're at. It's yeah. okay. Um, I like to think he knew I wasn't dumb enough to be like, you know, I was. I didn't drive home here, Dad. Yeah, well, like, you really, you don't strike me as like an irresponsible type, just generally. Oh, I thank you very much. That <laughs> I, I, I just got my new pull quote for the next one man show. Yeah, like David it. Lawson does not strike me as an irresponsible. Type. <laughs> um, let's okay. All right, let's, let's go. We, we got fear number one taking. So all right. Okay. <clears throat> In seventh grade, Mrs. Bega explained the science of static electricity to us in a very lengthy yet ultimately horrifying explanation. I rose my hand to ask a simple question. When she acknowledged my hand being raised, I asked, so static electricity is basically just an accident that was made during God's 168-hour-long Earth creation period, I asked. (laughs) There was a slight pause. Next thing I remembered, I was in a stuffy room with my mom crying and my dad's veins sticking out all over his face. That's just about all I remember about that day. I could give a great explanation of the thrice-a-day ass-kickings I got from then on, though. Wow, that's extreme. Ass-kickings from asking a question? Yeah, but... A smart-mouth question? I, I can even see where it was... Co- There's a lot of, like, cruelty in those Woody Allen short stories. Oh, yeah. Of, like, I mean, it's very much reminding me of Catcher in the Rye style. Oh, yeah. See, I loved that book, yeah, too. Yeah, that, that had a huge effect on me when I was... The- like the, yeah, the the thing about Early that high school. the thing about that I haven't read that book in a while. There's like two. For, I'll try to make this, but one thing is I love. A lot of people have the experience. If you love that book when you're 16 and you read it when you're like 21, I love when people are like, you know, this kid's gonna be fine. He's gonna be all right. Yeah. Like, like this, he's gonna chill out. He's gonna be. The other thing too is that is like a masterclass in dialogue. Every 100 percent. Every character is yes. written like the pimp at the hotel and his buddy that he meets up with and. And the woman he is in the park, yeah, it's good. It's, anyway. it, I, I used, to, I wrote down, I like filled a steno notebook with quotes from that book because I was like, yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Everyone's phony. Yeah. I mean, my diary was probably a good tell that that was going to be a good book for me. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So let's see, where was I? Uh, okay, <clears throat> but do you really blame me? I am a holy man. I have nothing against our Lord. I go to church every now and then. I still wonder, though, what could have been our Lord's intent when he created static electricity? <laughs> Wearing a sweater to school every day was no problem. It's sitting in a metal leg chair in a carpeted room on a sunny day wearing a sweater that sucked. Maybe there's just something unholy about touching railings, car doors, and doorknobs. Or maybe they are inhabited by spirits that send the worst concentrated pain in the history of the world when you lay your hands upon them. I hate static electricity with a passion. I've never broken a bone, suffered a gunshot, or suffered a hangover, the latter being a result of me staying home on Saturday nights. But I somehow know all these terrible pains are nothing compared to the agony of static shock. Oh, wait, wait. a gunshot is nothing compared to the agony of static electricity? That's what the. This isn't me. This is Timmy. Oh, this is a work of fiction. Right. Timothy. Timmy's a Christian. Yeah. And, and David is a Jew. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, all, that's the only difference. <laughs> I'm thinking of patenting a static electricity chair for execution purposes. You would be thrown into a wool sweater and dragged around in a 10 foot, 200 pound all metal chair across a carpet. I know the government would deem it far too torturous. You got though. the Catholic shame down, bit. Yeah. <laughs> Because Jewish Jewish shame is pretty similar. It's yeah, it's it's sort of analogous. Uh, yeah, it, just different. Yeah, you, know, you guys have hats. Did you smaller hats. did you have a, a, a like a a a bad like I just I have some Catholic friends who are like the night I lost my virginity I cried in sadness. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> As didn't, opposed to like oh my god finally <laughs> I didn't cry. I had like a solid thirty minutes where I was like in a catatonic like lying face up like sort of. What did I just do? State. Yeah, and then 30 minutes later, I was like, you want to do it again? <laughs> but I needed, I needed to process the shock. Like, it all had a... 
But I've I've done that before, like when I first drank. Yeah, I had that, I had that guilt. Day uh, after or night of? Yes, both. Yeah, oh, yeah. and then huh. like or like the first time I like uh, uh, touched uh, a pair of breasts, I was guilty the entire day. Huh? But were they offered to you, or did you just take them? They were offered. A lot more was offered, but that's all I was willing to take. <laughs> And and I just didn't, you know, I just didn't feel like I deserved it. But once school ended, I I was like, "Fuck this Catholicism garbage!" And then I just stopped feeling guilty. And then I lost my virginity. And then I it immediately came back. It came right back because huh. it's, it's you know it's fucking it's, it's in there. It's, it's in there. It's very deep. There's it's no deep way to rid yourself. You, you're, I'm always atoning, and I don't even know for what. That's but that's the thing about being raised. Like the amount that I know about Judaism, like. Like Passover is coming up, it and is. like the fact that I know like the laws of Hamates and mm-hmm. like Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and all this crap, and I'm going. We raised kosher. Uh yeah, yeah. So the meat plates, the oh, milk man. plates. Oh yeah. wow, the whole nine yards. You know, I I was raised like you know you got Reform, conservative, and Orthodox. Uh-huh. I was raised conservative, and I always knew I was pretty observant. But it was meeting people who said, like, going to Boston and meeting Jews. So, like, I was raised conservative, too. Oh, no, no kashrut, no bar mitzvah. I was like, holy fucking shit, man. Wait, we no were... bar mitzvah and you're conservative? I don't understand Oh, that. I was bar mitzvah. No, 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 but, I know. But when you were but, saying to other these Boston people, kids. Oh, I don't know. And, and I don't even know how many of them are just New England general. You know what pisses me off? <laughs> Oh, here we go. A but Yankee rant. Just, just one thing. Well, I, you know, I consider like a mid-Atlantic nebulous. Like, yes. But it's not a Yankee rant. It's more of this New England. No, no suburbs claim a city as far away as Boston people. I'm sorry. If you fucking grew up in New Hampshire, <laughs> stop saying you're from Boston. Stop it. There's no, yeah, there's no real parameters or like. A uh, 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 bridge or tunnel that is more like kind of dominant, like like what we have. Like you're from New York, if you're from New York, but but even like the tri-state thing, I get it. Like all right, like New like New Jersey. Yes, yeah, so like, the, tri- yeah, I'm the from tri-state New Jersey, thing yeah, again. Like, and like and I and I grew up in a part of Connecticut on the on the shoreline that was. Could you say you're from Boston? What? Nothing. No, but it's interesting because we were exactly in this part of Connecticut where my town was equally split between Red Sox fans and Yankees I mean, that's fans. the huge one in Connecticut. I, I, when, I, when I moved to Boston, I realized like that's the swing state of that fan. It is, and my family was a very much, because my parents are from New York and like my family was in New York, so that was what I, uh, that was what I related to, but like most of the kids in my school were very like New England Patriots and like Boston-centric, and so I, that was another like rift between me and everybody that it's I was just like, like oh. I don't know what it is. Like even in Massachusetts, people who grew up like an hour and a half like 60 70 miles from boston it's wishful thinking yeah like but they're, they're, they're i don't know it's it's uh i listen i feel your pain i'm a, i hope i don't get too many people angry no with this conversation this is actually a very interesting conversation because you don't see that in the tri-state area i mean people say where they're from they say where they're from specifically but if they're trying not to scare anyone they're like i'm from the tri-state area i mean that's what i try i say annandale virginia 15 miles outside of dc right yeah, map quest it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's that's definitely a suburb of DC. But like, I don't know. It and there were parts of I mean where I lived when people said that they were going into the city. For me, for my family, that always meant New York because we went pretty frequently. But for a lot of people in my town, that meant New Haven. Hmm. Which I was like, that's not the city. That's not a city. That's Yale plus surrounding ghetto. Yeah, there's like a, a strip of places. 
that you can go into. I mean, are... and the best pizza in the entire world. Yeah, okay. We're not going to have this argument right now, no, but no, it is absolutely, I, I agree unequivocally. Pizza, New York pizza right now, they're not bringing their best. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I like a lot. Of, you know, I like Joe's. I like Two Joe. Boots. Yeah. Two Boots, yeah. I mean, that's Speedy Romeo's pretty good. It's I'm sorry, but there's no expensive. there's no modern pizza. There's no Peppies. No. But there is going to be a Peppies in Boston shortly. Um, you guys don't even care. I <laughs> know. Uh, no. Fine. All right, David. All right, sir. All right, yeah. th- third phobia in, in this. Yeah, just a few Excellent. more paragraphs. All right. And my personal fave, this is the joke that I think is aged the best, this premise of copywriting the word and. Yes. Yes. I'm so excited. We use certain words every day in every other sentence. Words like the, and, uh, even though uh is a letter, it doubles as a word, which doesn't quite work as well for the letter W or U. (laughs) And might be the most commonly used word in the world. Nobody knows the origin of and, but we use them all right. And then grammatical. Uh, Now imagine if this happened. The story could be the plot to an awesome action flick. A corporate trillionaire buys the copyright for the word and for $250 billion. Think about it. Everything with the word and on it will be burned in a huge pit dug by the U.S. government. Then just about every musical duet would have to change their names. This, I just want to stop. This is the funniest part of this. <laughs> I was trying to make pop culture references that like older people would get, even yeah. though this was just in my high school literary magazine. I thought Tango and Cash was Johnny Cash and somebody else and not a uh, Tom Hanks movie with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so because I'm try- I'm like, well, let me think of examples of, of old musical acts. And I say Tango and Cash would become Tango Cash Group. Peter, Paul, and Mary would become PPM, and hopefully Captain and Tennille would just call it quits. You, <laughs> Zing! You couldn't write an official document without putting a TM in superscript every time you used the word and. Losses from magazines, books, and movies would result in having to omit the use of the word and. The entire entertainment and multimedia industry would be in ruins, and eventually America and possibly the world would fall apart at its hinges. All this over a conjunction, which we take advantage of and harshly abuse every single day. The end. Wow. That is a screed. That is a screed. I don't even, it's just a simple comic. Like, honestly, I that's what those Woody Allen essays were. Were like a simple comic, es- like a simple comic premise starring a character where just he thinks or the crazy shit happens to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good, uh, I think it's a pretty good rendition of that voice. And I don't know if you guys um, ever had these exercises in your English class, but I specifically remember my English class in sophomore or junior year of high school, we had to write a piece in the style of um, an author that we had Hmm. read. And so I wrote a piece in the style of Ernest Hemingway because that's the most fun to do. Just like really, really short to the point sentences. Yeah. Yes. And then it rained. Uh, Drinking, betting, fucking. (laughs) (laughs) I I only read Old Man in the Sea in some of the short stories. It's uh, it my favorite activity. I like to do that, which is kind of like, I guess, impressions, early my impressions. Favorite. Until I got to uh, Farewell to Arms and I was like, never again. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's pretty depressing. It's pretty depressing. It's great up until like the last 10 pages. And then spoilers. English teachers are the life changers, though. I don't they, know. For like, me, they certainly were. Definitely yeah. for me. They were, they were a lot nicer to me than a lot of the other teachers. Like they were the ones that were like, oh, I saw you were teetering between this this grade and another so you know what 
I gave you the the B plus. Yeah, the, it's great because yeah. you can always you can always fudge it or swirl it or like uh, justify anything. Whereas in math, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah, there's, you know that's why I, I did not do so well in science or math. Ugh, they were not my fortes mm, either. Yeah. No bullshit. You can't bullshit. Bullshit solidarity. Yeah. Yes. That's, I mean, that's why we're here. Uh, but also, I just like, you know what? Physics was my least favorite because that was the worst of science with the worst of math, I thought. It yeah. was. Like, it's combined. It was just an awful boss fight in a video game level. Just like, how do you oh, man. How do you put those everything together to beat that? Even, <laughs> even survive. Yeah. I hate that shit. Yeah. In- English, though, like, that was the one, man, just... I just had I had so many good English teachers who also in the similar way the Woody Allen did like turn me on to like certain thoughts and certain things. What was the like, best advice that an English teacher ever gave you? Oh man, oh man! Like I, my best English teacher was Doctor Key my senior year, mm-hmm. and um, and you know I'm gonna can I flip this question? Yeah, because Doctor Key was incredibly encouraging. She knew that I was gonna move from the the suburbs of DC to to Boston, mm-hmm. and probably eventually you know like go to a New York or or a Chicago or LA, you know. And she was incredibly encouraging, and we're still in touch. We got coffee uh, oh. last year when she was in New York. Amazing. The, my she like lit a fire in me. Yeah. That, that still is never. It will yeah. hopefully never go out. Not going. But my better story is I had this brutal Spanish teacher, um, and I and I got a D plus my senior year Woof. in Spanish. Yeah, I, I was I was like a three kind of kid. I mm-hmm. I mixed in some C's and D's there. Um, and she gave me, she slid my D plus to me because we had evaluations. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, uh, David, I am very disappointed in your performance in this class, but I hear that you are moving up north to pursue the performing arts. And that is an incredibly hard but very rewarding life. And I wish you all the best of luck. And I was just like, wow, I Whoa. thought I thought you were a demon this whole year because I was getting C's and D's in this class. And I was like, whoa, out of nowhere, this like massive encouragement. And Dr. Key did that all the time. Yeah, but, but it actually, t- the, the change, the surprise from, yeah. this, from this person was more... Absolutely rewarding. That is awesome. That's great. I love that. Mrs. Kladakis. I love that. Uh, she loves podcasts, so she'll oh. listen. <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know. I have no clue. I don't know. No, I would hope. You know, my uh, I uh, last time I was home in Connecticut, I actually had uh, lunch and coffee with my AP English teacher, Mrs. Fucci, which I hope she's listening to this now. But uh, she just had the best sense of humor, and uh, I just felt like she was my she was my compadre I mean I like she was rooting for me I never I can't relate to the prep school like ivory tower-ness of dead poet society (laughs) but Robin Williams in that movie is a lot like every good English teacher I ever had like just 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 doing crazy shit like that and uh man man. yeah oh Dr. Key this is a great Dr. Key story how, how she could get anybody on board um our a, a lot of football, a lot of sports at my school. And I love sports, but when you're a drama kid, uh, it could be a little suffocating. Um, but <laughs> Hard uh, to do both, nearly impossible. Our, I had a few football players in my class, and they were playing for the district title that year, or that that, that Friday night. And she had them do, uh, God, no, what, like, um, 
we few, we band of brothers. She like had them all read that one line at a time. And then when she got to the end of it, there was a big dramatic finish where like the whole offensive lineman on the team was like, you know, let's look once more into the breach. And Dr. Key was like, win that district title this weekend class dismissed oh, and i was like cool. and i'm like that's how an english teacher gets through uh, to, the, to the jocks movie yeah. fodder yeah. yeah all right that's perfect that leads into the gift that i'm going to give you oh my goodness uh, because i always give a gift and uh this one is from um the i had a roll top desk growing up a big dark wooden roll top desk because you know i was a writer and uh, did you have to lock the wheels on that or wait oh I no thinking? the top rolled up and down but oh, there were no wheels on the bottom okay, okay, it was okay. like <laughs> that that curved anyway i love those those are great oh they're beautiful so i have i had a huge collection of pens and pencils and erasers and this combines a pencil and an eraser because it's a big fat pencil shaped eraser beautiful that says not so basic stuff on it and wow. uh it's it's a slightly used but um i'm sure it still works as an eraser and uh i hope you use that in your future writing endeavors absolutely David. this is from high school oh long before high school wow that's probably from from fifth or sixth grade all right eraser yeah. thank you very much Lisa. you are so welcome david david lawson do you have anything that you want to plug coming up to, if this, this is uh, april 9th what, okay. Uh, anything coming up soon after that? Um. So every single month, two years running, second Tuesday of each month, I host the Astoria Bookshop Storytelling Show. The second Tuesday of every month, seven o'clock, right near the Broadway uh, NQ stop. Uh, we have. I, I have been amazed in two That's years. It's a great store, and that we've gotten like a lot of like. I there's been a few times. I always say we have like working actors and like people with book deals, and comics who have done national TV spots mm-hmm. of like come into this little forty seat room to perform it's been going really well and on may 11th i know you both are our pit people mm-hmm. on uh may 19th sorry which is a thursday night i'm gonna be remounting my one-man show about video games called no odd job amazing and nice. i am uh right golden eye yes very very vid centric but i'm uh at dt lawson d-t-l-a-w-s-o-n on twitter and dt lawson.com sweet that is awesome and for the rest of you guys out there, please follow us at uh, the underscore bitch underscore seat. At Lissa is a person and at Phil Casal. And um, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. And Come if you're up. interested for more information, go to the bitch That's right. All right. Have an awesome week, everybody. Yes. And send us your sign off lines. Otherwise, it's going to be about crunchy chicken forever. I don't. Uh, yeah. Don't enjoy your burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Hate it. Won't you come see about me? I'll be alone. Dancing, you know it, baby. Hello, I'm Ben. As always, I'm Paul. And we're from Juicy Reviews. We have a podcast where we like to talk and review movies, maybe bring on a wacky character from that movie, and always play some games. We like some games. I actually brought a clip, Paul. Wait, you brought a clip? I brought a clip. Can I listen? Yeah. I look mad young, right? Yeah, yeah. you look young in the movie, and... Uh, I hooked up with a bunch of the young chicks at the movie. Oh, you know what? You know what? It's not illegal if you're a police officer. And, and, I believe that, And this yeah. is something I wanted to bring up since you're here. Sure. Tell us about all the hookups on set. Oh, my God. Who's on, hooking up with who? Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, like, there's, like, these, like, Asian girls in the movie. Right. They play, I, the twins, I right? triple kissed them.
Okay, um, a little triple kiss. Triple that way you didn't get confused if it was Rachel or Rebecca. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, oh, whatever, and I triple kissed them. Was and was that offset or on camera, or and they got cut out maybe? Or oh, uh, I didn't do it on camera for sure. Okay. I would never because I, you know, what I mean, that's I could get in a lot of trouble for that. They, I don't, I don't know how old they are. I can never tell with them. But uh, who else? Let me see. Cecily, the girl. Yeah, I chalked. I, I chalked her. You chalked her. What, <laughs> I chalked what is, her. What is chalking? That's when you kind of forcibly kiss someone. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!